Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. Uh, this week, I do have my co-host Eva back with us here, and we are going to be talking about a classic film. Well, I, I don't know if I really would put it up there as a classic. No. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I kind of had to laugh because I, I saw this here as I was looking through the notes that in 2006, this film was added to the United States National Film Registry as being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so... For those of you who don't know what movie we're going to be talking about, uh, this is, since we're coming up on the date here, uh, mm -hmm. it's Sunday, we're going to be talking about Groundhog Day. Okie dokie. Uh, this film is a 1993 American comedy film. It was directed and written by Harold Ramis. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, not written. Excuse me. Uh, it was co-written by Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin, based oh, uh -huh. on a story by Danny Rubin. Uh, the movie stars Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott. Uh, it's also got some other people in there that we'll talk about once we get down to the cast. Uh, and it it basically takes place around uh, Bill Murray, who's playing Phil Connors, who's just kind of this arrogant asshole going through life. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm going to ask you, what did you think of this film? I know <sighs> what I have for my opinions. So, Well, okay, this was the very first time I'd seen it last night. And it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be because I've heard other people's opinions that it was kind of so-so and, and it's okay. Um, so I kind of mentally prepared for it to suck. I wouldn't say that it sucked. Um, there were some funny parts to it. Um, I like Bill Murray. At least I used to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so it, there were parts of it that were kind of cute. And quite honestly, there were quite a few what the fuck moments for me. So when oh, yeah. I see a what the fuck moment, I can, you know, I can, you know, push aside one or two what the fuck moments in a movie. There were several what the fuck moments in this movie for me. So I didn't dislike it, but I didn't really care for it. That kind was, of a middle. Yeah, that was kind of my impression of it. Now, I, I would yeah. get when I first saw it in 93, because I remember seeing it at the theaters mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, hey, this isn't bad. This isn't half yeah. bad. And yeah. for the time. I will give it that. It was decent. You know, it was actually, mm -hmm. it was kind of a surprise hit for me. And it was kind of like, wow, I thought this was really going to suck because, hey, it's about Groundhog Day. How yeah. exciting can you make Groundhog Day? Yeah. Little chipmunk thing comes out. It sees its shadow. It says, oh, six more weeks of winter and turns around and they shove it back in a hole. Yeah, exactly. How, what are they going to do for a plot for this? Yeah, exactly. that's kind of what I was thinking, too. I was like watching them like, hmm, how is this going to grab my attention? What is this exactly going to be about besides the little, you know, groundhog? I don't know. But it, it just and also I have, I have to say this. The fact that they kept going over and over and over again, I could see maybe going over maybe three times. I think they went over and over and over again five times. I could be wrong. Oh, but no, I no. Thought that, they, Maybe they did not. it quite more. <laughs> quite a uh, bit you more. know, it, it, it was very, it was overdone. It yeah. was, so by the, like the third time I'm like, okay, really this scene again, I just, that kind of ruined it for me a little bit that they kept over, you know, doing the scene over and over and over again. Yeah. And then just, yeah, it, I liked though that, you know, he was pompous and obnoxious and all of that at the beginning. And then at the end, 
he kind of changed and whatever and was trying to do good. And I, I, yeah. I liked that part. Um, it just, and I didn't really think that Andy McDowell and Bill Murray had good chemistry. That's just my opinion. Um, it just, yeah, it was okay. It just, it didn't completely click a hundred percent for me, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Well, let's talk about the plot here a bit. So we can okay. kind of let those of you who have not seen the film know basically what happens. Uh, the film actually kind of starts out here that we see Phil Connors, a.k.a. Bill Murray, uh, and news producer Rita McDowell, and then, of course, his cameraman Larry, who play, who's played by Chris Elliott. Uh, they're from the Pittsburgh television station WPBH-TV9, and they travel to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, on February 1st, so they can get out and be there early in the morning to see all the festivities of Groundhog Day. Uh, Phil hates this assignment. It's his third year in a row, and he's kind of like, this sucks, you know? And he's just kind of like, this, I really want to get this done with. Uh, you know, he, he wants out of this. He can't stand this. He gives his report, and he goes back. And as he's leaving town, as they're going out of town, the blizzard, now this is the kind of the funny thing is because obviously, you know, Phil's supposed to be this wonderful meteorologist and wonderful weatherman. And he stands there and he says, oh, yeah, we're going to see this storm push on by and it's going to move on. It's not going to hit Pugstani. Yeah. And push. <laughs> blizzard yep. hits, says, turn around. You know, the uh, state troopers are there saying, turn around and go back. And he's like, oh, God, I'm trapped in hell. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, fine. I'll go back. I'll stay another night. And the next morning he wakes up and, you know, the alarm clock goes off. He rolls over and he's like, huh, okay. Here's the music. And he's kind of like shaking his head. And, well, that's a little odd that they're playing the same song again that they played yesterday. Brushes his teeth, walks out, and starts bumping into the same people. And he's like, wait a minute. What day is today? Oh, crap. It's February 2nd again. Mm-hmm. And the he is the only one who's aware of the fact that he's stuck in this giant time loop. Yeah. And he's kind of like, okay, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on. He finally just says, oh, you know, what the hell? I'm going to take advantage of the situation. I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about the town. Uh, you know, he's like, ah, I'm going to, you know, there's no long-term consequences. He starts mm-hmm. fooling around with women. Uh, he's stealing money. He's driving recklessly. He gets thrown mm-hmm. in jail. He commits suicide a couple of times. That was one of the what the fuck moments. I hate to interject, but that was something that was like, are you kidding me? And it kept showing the different ways that he was killing himself. I was like, okay, is this really necessary? I think they, they showed several ways that he well, killed himself. And I was like, oh my God. They show it, him like driving it, it, off the, they show him driving off the cliff. cliff. They show him dropping the bat by a bus. Yeah. And then I think, um, what was another jumping off a building? I think um, dropping the uh, toaster into the bathtub and frying yes. himself. It's like okay. I was just like really over. Yeah, that was another thing that was just like uh, again the whole over and over, just uh, a little much. You know what I mean? Well, I I kind of thought it was kind of nice in the sense that hey, you know, it's it's kind of like somebody up there is laughing at him, going, "No, you're stuck." It, yeah. it a lot yeah. of ways it reminded me of of Sisyphus. You know, the, the Greek Greek story of Sisyphus where he's pushing up a rock. He's pushing a rock up a hill. And every time he gets up to the top of the hill, it rolls back down again, and he has to start uh, over. Uh-huh. Okay, and that's what gods had deemed him to do. 
kind of I kind of got the feeling that that was the same thing that Phil was trying to do here was that he was being taught yeah. a lesson of you're screwed because you're not a nice person. So yeah. we're sticking you in this time loop and we're letting you go through it all. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though, because you see him going through and he starts telling, you know, he starts telling Rita all about how he's stuck in this time loop. And she's like, really? You're really stuck in this time loop? And he's like shoving cake into his mouth. He's smoking oh, cigarettes. Yeah. He's eating yeah. all sorts of bad foods. Oh, that was awesome. I wrote that down. That scene where he was like eating all those desserts. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was awesome. I was like, oh, that's so freaking cool. <laughs> Me being the junk food junkie that I am, I... I that was cute. I, yeah. <laughs> I like that scene. Yeah. But yeah, the, the excess, the, um, it just, maybe he needed to go through all of that obnoxiousness, if that's even a word, you know, yeah. he was obnoxious before, but then once this happened, he became even more obnoxious. Maybe he needed to go through that in order to really change at the end. Um, so in that sense, I guess it, it, it was necessary to the plot to have him go, you know, to show the process and, and all the things that he's going through to kind of make him come around at the end. Right. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe there was really a point to it. I just kind of felt like, okay, we get the point. You can kill yourself and, you, and you're not going to die. We, we get the point. You know, yeah. it just, yeah, there might've been a few, you know, and then over and over and over and over again, it's like, okay, maybe you could have done it three times, maybe three times the charm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it did serve a point. It did. You know, it was, and, and like we said, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the no. great part of this film. Uh, but no. as he goes through, you know, he sits there and he learns, he learns about the town. He starts helping the people in the town. Uh, you know, he starts using his huge, you know, ex vast experience of everybody in the town and who, how he knows. And I, I love the scene where he's sitting in the diner there with, with Rita and he starts going, this person is doing this. These two kids are supposed to get married later this afternoon, but she's having second thoughts. And he starts yeah, going off like, yeah. you know, this person here, you know, she she does this. And when she gets, you know, when she gets really excited, she squeaks like a chipmunk. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, how do you, oh, how do you know that? You know, and it's like, yeah. oh, my God. Uh -huh. you know. That was something, too, that was kind of what the fuck was. It was like. He goes through this time warp. Maybe I missed something because, again, I've only seen this once and it was last night. So I you know, don't have any, you know, I haven't seen it previously, but I missed something. It's like he almost had like supernatural powers or something. Is, well, what, what the fuck? What was happening I, was that he had this memory that he was able to remember everything. And he relived so many of these scenes. You know, he relived the day so many times. In fact, one of the things that's kind of theorized as to how long he was living through this because he never aged. Even when he died, he still came back. Yeah. Uh, Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin kind of said that, you know, he was living about the process of about 10,000 years. Oh, gee. In this time frame. And so you can oh. kind of understand how this was getting monotonous and how it was just kind of like how he was able to learn everything in this. And oh, part of the okay. reason for this was so that, you know, he, he uses that time while he's trapped in this time loop to learn things like how to play the piano. Uh, yeah. you know, how to sculpt ice when you see him sculpting the uh, yeah. the face of Annie McDowell. You know, yeah, that was another. Yeah, it was all of this stuff. It was like he was preparing for. That's kind of how I took it. it. Was like you know, I was like, okay, why is he learning to play the piano? And then like in a few scenes after that, it was like, oh, he wanted to impress Andy McDowell in the bar scene or the restaurant scene when he's playing the piano because he knew that she liked it. I kind so everything he pretty much did. 
was basically to try to win her over. That's well, kind of my assumption. And here's the thing with that is that the first time I saw this movie, I thought he was kind of just doing it because he was a little smarmy and he wanted to just, yeah, you know, so that was the way that he was going to do this. Yeah. However, I picked up on something when I watched this last night, when I mm -hmm. watched this yesterday. There's a spot where he meets the, you know, the one woman that he seduces at the very beginning of his seductions with all the women. Uh, the, the woman who, you know, squeaks like a chipmunk. Yeah. He sees her and he says, you know, he goes through all that and they're they're getting ready to go on and, and you know, fool around that night. And he says to her, you know, oh, you know, yes, that's it. Kiss me. He goes, kiss me, Rita. And she goes, my name's Susan yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, it's like, that, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, that was kind of weird. When I heard that, I was kind of like, oh, so he does have a thing for Rita. Yeah. You know, even that, in, back in yeah. the back of his mind, it was kind of like, okay, uh -huh. it was there. That was kind of from the beginning for me. So it was kind of like, yeah, there, there's something that could possibly be there for him. So it was kind of nice. Yeah. I thought that, you know, it was, maybe it was twofold. Maybe he was definitely trying to get Rita, but also at the end, you know, he really was kind of being a selfless person. He wasn't all yeah. out for himself. So it was kind of like twofold, like, okay, you know, and I could, and he does get her at the end. So, yes. you know, and that was nice too. I have to admit, I was like, Oh, cool. They ended up together, you know? And the other thing that I thought was kind of nice is that, you know, when they wake up, they, he discovers it's February 3rd, Rita's still with him. And he kind of likes, you know what, maybe we should, you know, grow up here and get, you know, live here in Puxitani. Mm -hmm. Screw going to Pittsburgh, screw going to one of these bigger studios, you know, these bigger stations. Let's stay here and let's make a life for ourselves, which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah. You know, and you kind of yeah. got a chance to see him change. But all that aside, I still thought Bill Murray's character was still an asshole at the end of it all. Yeah. Like it, it was it... just fake. And that was... Mm -hmm. I think that's why I didn't care as much for the movie was because I'm watching this and kind of like going, Bill Murray is still Bill Murray in this. He, he's not, you know, you can kind of tell that he was just like, I, it felt like he was phoning it in. I kind of was wondering about that too, because I was thinking about Ghostbusters. It's almost the same character that he was in Ghostbusters. Just this kind of like, not, he was worse in this movie in terms of the obnoxiousness and oh yeah. the, but did you kind of get that sense too? Like yeah. the character he played in Ghostbusters was kind of just like I don't really know how to describe it. Obnoxious and yeah. kind of you know jovial, but also kind of sarcastic, maybe a little smarmy. I I kind of got that from him too on a you know oh yeah you know, even more so yeah. in Groundhog Day. But just it almost like, seems like he plays that character. Like it's that's kind of how he's typecast. I don't, I can't really think of anything else right off the bat that he's been in that I've seen. Well, but let me go ahead. We'll move right into that. Cause I've got yeah, the cast list yeah. of information here. I've I'm got a bunch a of things. Right now. Uh, so since we're talking about Bill Murray, we'll go ahead and mention him. Uh, mm -hmm. As, as we noted before is that he plays Phil Connors. Uh, he's also been in Ghostbusters one and two mm -hmm. Scrooged Zombieland. Uh, he was the voice of Garfield in the Garfield uh, live action movie that they did, both of them actually, Garfield and Garfield 2. Uh, he was Steve Zissou in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, he appeared in Space Jam, uh, playing himself, and he played Arthur Denton in Little Shop of Horrors. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, he's been in a lot. I just brain farted. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Uh, then moving down, we have Andy McDowell, who played as Rita. Uh, she showed up in Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Green Card, Hudson Hawk, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I didn't realize this until I started looking at her, her background. She was in the 2011 remake of Footloose. Yeah, she was. I don't remember what part she played, but I do. Yes. I didn't see it, so... Yes, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Yeah, well, the whole prom, the whole process of Footloose itself, and in and of it, what it what it was, and yeah. some of the things that happened in that pissed me off. But we'll get to that in a later time. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, we'll sure. definitely cover Footloose on this on this podcast because I have I a bunch like of to... shit to rip through for that one. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, moving down the list here, uh, next guy we have is Chris Elliott. Uh, mm-hmm. who is Larry the Cameraman. Yeah. Uh, Chris has actually been around quite a bit. He got his start as a comedian. Uh, oh, really? Uh-huh. And he, his early appearances, he actually showed up as kind of a regular, a semi-regular on David Letterman. Uh, oh, uh-huh. He would play this. He would play Marlon Brando, and it was just, he did this, like, really bad impression of Marlon Brando, <laughs> but just absolutely hilarious, you know? And it was it was great seeing him doing it. Uh he also appeared on in the early '90s. There was a TV show on Fox called Get a Life. Mm-hmm. I and, vaguely remember that, and I remember it because he was a newspaper boy who was delivering papers. He was riding his bicycle down the street, and they were playing "Stand" from REM. That was the theme mm-hmm. song for the show. Mm-hmm. You know, so I remember that. Uh, he also was the voice of Dogbert in the Dilbert animated series. Uh, he appeared as Peter McDougal in Everybody Loves Raymond for a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Ben Stiller's friend Dom in There's Something About Mary. Yes, that's what I wrote down. I was like, that guy, immediately I knew who he was. I'm like, oh my God, that's the guy with the you know bumps on his face yep. from There's Something About Mary. That was, yep. total, that was the first thing I went to. Yeah. And then more recently, he's been on Adult Swim's Eagle Heart uh, series. Oh, okay. Which mm-hmm. I, I can't bring myself to watch it. It's just it's too stupid. I'm sorry. Is it really? For those never people who are fans of it. of it, great. Not my <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> uh, now, next guy, Stephen Toblowski. Uh, he shows up as Ned Ryerson. Ned the head. Ned Needlenose Ned. You know. Uh, yep. S- Stephen is, he, I would call him really just kind of a utility actor. He does so well with a lot of different things. But you never see him playing like a huge major major role yeah what do they call that character actors kind of yeah i mean he, yeah. he's kind of not not a background you know definitely not an extra because he's certainly not you know the, to that level he definitely has the quality to show up uh he's kind of played both comedic and serious roles as i mentioned he uh he showed up on csi miami space balls thelma and louise mm-hmm. basic instinct disney's the country bears he also showed up in Garfield. Uh, he was on Deadwood, Heroes, and he makes an appearance on Glee, which I thought oh, was kind yeah. of funny because the character that he co- he shows up on in Glee, uh-huh. uh, his character's name on Glee was Sandy Ryerson. Oh. Mm-hmm. So obviously somebody there was kind of a fan of Groundhog Day putting him in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has done a lot. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. And I mean, he's one of these people that like you see him and you go, oh, I've seen him in this and that and this and that. And I mean, yes, his, you know, 
his acting list just shows up like a huge, like several pages on IMDb. So <laughs> very cool. Uh, next guy we have to mention, he was, you know, Bill Murray's brother shows yep. up in this film. Yes, I was. It was as soon as I saw him, I'm like, yep. <laughs> yep. Brian cool, Doyle though. Murray. It's as... very cool, though. I like him as an actor. Yeah. And I like that they, you know, I like that they work together. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, he shows up as Buster Green, which I, I wasn't too sure if he was the mayor or he was one of the Groundhog Day aficionados or officials yeah. or something like that. You yeah, know? he might have been the mayor. I was wondering about that, too. Like, just who is this guy? Yeah. Kinda, yeah. It, was, it was never made too clear to me. I, I'm sure that if I looked it up, I could find out that, yes, he was he was the mayor or some, you know, city council member, mucky, you know, some high muckety muck or something. It didn't really matter much to me because – He's there, you see him throughout the movie, throughout several scenes, and he actually is kind of a prominent character, but he really, like, his character didn't really make a, a big difference to me in the movie. No, not really. You know, uh, so let's kind of let's kind of mention some of the films that he's been in, because, you know, obviously yeah. we've talked about him before. Uh-huh. Uh, we mentioned that, you know, we've, when we talked about Wayne's World, we mentioned him, because he was Noah on mm -hmm. Wayne's World. Uh he was Chevy Chase's boss in Christmas Vacation. Yep. Uh, he showed up as a psychologist or psychiatrist in Ghostbusters 2 when the guys were getting put away into the mental hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, he shows up in Caddyshack. Uh, and he also, for those fans who like SpongeBob SquarePants, he is the voice of the Flying Dutchman in SpongeBob SquarePants. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I'm you're going to go I'm, li I'm listening to that voice in my head right now because I'm a fan of SpongeBob, and you're right. That's him. Yep. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, now, the last person I want to mention, there were a lot of other actors, but, you know, this guy had kind of a small part, but I want to put him in here as well because, well, he's the director of the film. Uh, mm -hmm. Harold Ramis shows up. Yes. Uh-huh. Did you I, I as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh my god, yes, I see who yep, he is. The doctor. Yeah. He plays the he plays the neurologist the who's doctor. checking him out. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. You know, as I mentioned, he was the director of this film, former Ghostbuster Dr. Egon Spengler. Yep. Uh he also has shown up in Stripes with Bill Murray and John Candy. Uh he was on the Canadian based SCTV in various roles. And one of the more recent things that I can remember seeing him in was in Knocked Up with Seth Rogen. That's right. He was he was supposed and to be Seth looked, Rogen's dad. He, oh, and didn't now? Sorry, I I don't know what made me think of this, but like I when I was thinking of the movie, he looked like he could have been Seth Rogen's dad. In my opinion, I was like, yeah. this is great casting because I just I looked at them like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of cool. I like that when you see that in movies where you, you look at the you know the mother and the daughter or the father and the son or whatever, and they actually look alike. Yep. I really like that, and it, it doesn't happen very often, but yeah, it kind of makes it more you know feel more authentic to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very okay. cool. Yeah, he he's done quite a bit. I think that he's better as a writer and maybe yes. a producer than as an actor. But his what he, his style works for the roles that he plays. Yeah, he. So, the problem is that it's kind of a typecasting because he always seems to play like this nerdy type of character. Even in Stripes, yeah. he was kind of that way. And yeah, I you know I didn't see Stripes, but yeah, based on everything else I've seen him in, where he's kind of monotone and nerdy and. You know, all yeah. business and yeah. We'll have to we'll have to cover 
we'll have to cover stripes because I yeah, liked it. I would it was, like to see that. I it was like... actually from what I, from what I would say, it was probably one of the more decent Bill Murray films of the eighties. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there was there was some a lot of comedy in there. You know, I felt it worked okay. So. Uh, so now, you know, we've kind of covered our actors. I know that there's more that I didn't mention, and I apologize. I'm not trying to overshadow them with some of these major actors, but... Yeah. You know. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to do the Six Degrees Kevin Bacon game. I'm going to let you oh, pick, right. and we'll go through it. Okay. I wrote his name down. Let's see. Okay. Um, the man who played Ralph. His name is Rick Overton. Okay. Uh Ralph was Ralph. I'm trying to remember if Ralph was the guy that he was meeting on the stairs as he was coming down, or if that was the guy that was in the bar. I want to say Ralph, based on his picture. Um, I want to say Rick was or Ralph was his boss at the beginning of the movie hmm. when he was talking to the guy at the beginning of the movie. Okay. After he, well, I could be wrong. I'm going to kind of cheat here. I'm going to use Groundhog Day to go okay. through this. Okay. Uh, I am going to go, and I'll do a couple of different ways just to show you how we can do this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Ralph Overton to Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray to Steve Martin in Little Shop of Horrors because uh-huh. Bill Murray was the patient who was needing a root canal, and Steve Martin was the dentist in Little Shop That's of Horrors. right. Uh-huh. Then we go Steve Martin to Kevin Bacon in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm-hmm. So, Free jump. Yes. Okay. So there's one. Uh-huh. Uh, I could have also done, you know, I could have done him to Brian Doyle Murray uh, in Caddyshack. You know, I, I could have done uh, Rick Overton to Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Rick Overton to Brian Doyle Murray in Groundhog mm-hmm. Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going from there to... Uh, Ted Knight in Caddyshack, Ted Knight to uh, Dan Aykroyd in Caddyshack 2, Dan Aykroyd to Tom Hanks in Dragnet, Tom Hanks to Kevin Bacon in Apollo 13. Very nice. How many jumps was that? Was that five? I think so. Awesome. You know, so I mean, there's... There's a bunch of ways I could have played it. (laughs) I know. I have to say, yeah, I'm pretty much... Like I was contemplating going with that lady, the older lady, um, in the hotel. Oh, the, the, the yeah, she's waitress. been in a lot too. Yeah, yeah, she's been in a lot too. And I was like, oh, I've, she's almost too well known with the movies that she's been in. I'm like, eh. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter who I picked, you were going to be able to do it. Yeah, because I mean, there was just so many. There were so many people in this that, mm-hmm. you know. Even though they're not huge names, they show up in like yeah. damn near everything. So I know exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead. We'll jump into the trivia section now. Uh, oh. I've kind of got a. I've kind of got actually a fairly decent amount of trivia from what I could find. Nice. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is that when we see Danny Rubin, the guy who wrote the film or who wrote the screenplay. Uh, his first draft actually ended with Phil waking on February the 3rd to discover that once he woke up, now Rita was trapped in the time loop. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm kind of glad that it didn't end that way because it would have yeah. just been like, oh, hell. It would have opened it up for a sequel and yeah. This was not a movie that needed a sequel. I'm sorry. Not at all. Not at all. You know, yeah. It's, 
it's good with what it was. It was well contained in that one. It didn't need anything else. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next thing that I found here is that if you count all the days that they actually show on screen mm -hmm. uh, that you see either partially on film or in full of the day, he has gone through 38 days in the film, despite oh. the fact that we talked about him going through 10,000 years approximately. Yeah. Part of the reason that part of the reason for that, Harold Ramis actually said that the reason that he figured out about 10,000 years is that you'd have to be doing at least six months of something to get good at it. Yeah. And the fact that Bill Murray is going to the piano lessons and he's taking the lessons and learning that and he's knocking out the lessons in, you know, one day and his teacher's like, he had his first lesson with me, you know, and, and I can't believe how good he learned. Yeah. You know, that was that was kind of a what the fuck moment for me because I'm that like, was okay, too. But... Yes, that was too. I think I even wrote that down in my notes. It's just like, um, it would have been a little more helpful, I think, if maybe they had, well, I was going to say maybe it would have been more helpful if they had kind of discussed, you know, discussed the time. Yeah. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, okay, like how long this actually had gone on. But then again, it may be the whole point is it's kind of open to interpretation. Maybe that was the point. Yeah. Uh, but it did kind of leave me confused a little bit, like with the scene where he was dead. I'm like, okay, is he really dead? And then you see him trying to kill, you know, different ways he's killing himself. And I kind of was like, huh? What, what the fuck? I yeah. don't. So there were, there were several scenes like that where I was just like, I'm not getting this. I, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh one of the other things that I do have here, uh, the film was not actually filmed in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Oh. They actually filmed it in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, oh, which okay. turns out is actually only 45 miles from Bill Murray's hometown of Wilmette, Illinois. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, they actually have a small plaque that reads, Bill Murray stepped here on the curb mm -hmm. where Murray was continually stepping into the puddle of ice water. Oh, how cute. Uh, there's also oh. another plaque on the building wall. At the corner that says Ned's Corner, where Bill Murray was constantly accosted by insurance salesman Ned oh, Ryerson. Oh, how cute. So, you know, they should actually, I'm assuming that, you know, being brothers, that they should commemorate Brian Doyle Murray as well. Well, you know, if they've. They have. Huh. They, they've actually have. Uh, one of the things here with this is that they've actually had Bill Murray, Stephen Toblowski, uh, Brian Doyle Murray, Andy McDowell, they've all been like grand marshals of the Groundhog Day parade that they have in Punxsutawney. Uh, oh, that's cool. Okay. So they've all so been they... there and they've all kind of said, you know, this is what's going on with it and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of nice. I mean, I, I always thought that was kind of nice there that they did that. That is. Yeah. Now, that groundhog that you see that Bill Murray is shooting with. Yeah. You know the scene in the truck where he's letting the groundhog drive in his Drive. Rock? Yes. Okay. That groundhog was not very nice to Bill. Oh, really? Uh, it actually didn't like him very much because it, it bit him twice. <laughs> oh. And because the bites were so severe, mm -hmm. Bill Murray actually had to have rabies shots. I was just going to ask about that. I was going to say, you know, I hope he had his rabies shots. Oh, wow. He had to go through the injections for it. So it was not oh, a pleasant thing. Not pleasant. Oh, wow. Now, one of the other things about this because I don't know if you've heard, but Bill Murray, a lot of people kind of don't like Bill Murray in the acting, in the acting industry. Oh, a lot of the act, like his fellow co-workers and whatnot. Yes. Yes. Really? I, I wasn't aware of that, but I can kind oh, yeah. of understand why in terms of, 
I've never really seen him like in interviews much. Um, but I'm kind of curious if he's still like, if art's not really imitating life, if that's just kind of how, you know, if he is kind of that smarmy. Well, kind of to get jet. to that, to get to that, he actually, when he was going through the filming of Groundhog Day, he was going through a divorce. Oh. Uh, and he was constantly obsessing about the film because he was trying to use that to keep his mind off of the divorce. Uh -huh. And so he would call up Harold Ramis constantly and be like, you know, hey, what's going on for the shoot? You know, what what am I going to be doing? What's my motivation? What's this? What's that? You know, what should I be wearing for this? And mm -hmm. it started driving Harold Ramis nuts. And so oh. Harold's like, you know what? Screw it. I, I, Danny, I want you to go sit down with Murray, iron out all his anxieties. Yeah. You know, I don't want to deal with him. Yeah. And so because of that, it actually caused this huge rift between him and Harold Ramis for like 10 years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so I mean this oh. and this was all done after uh, Ghostbusters 2. So this is part of the reason why they were having such an issue with they're trying to put together Ghostbusters 3, but they're really having a hard time with it because they're like do we really want to include Bill since you know he's got issues with some of us? Oh, yeah. You know, and Bill has he's bad. gotten better. He's gotten better about it. He wants to take part in it, but you know, the other guys are like, look, we kind of got some hard feelings for this. And, you know, can we the get over this? The other guys, too? The other guys, too? Or just Harold? Well, no, Harold and Dan and, you know, Ernie Hudson, they've all kind of been like, yeah, we're not sure we're going to be able to work with him. Really? Yes. And, and yeah. he's not, you know, not only those guys, but like he was supposed to be, they did uh, Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And Bill Murray was in Charlie's Angels. He was Bosley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you saw Charlie's Angels 2, the, the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I don't think I did. They replaced Bosley with Bernie Mac. They replaced Bill Murray Wait with Bernie Mac. Wait a second. Mac. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. It's coming back to me now. Yes. Now, the reason for this is that there were actually a lot of conflicts between Bill Murray and uh, Lucy Liu and him and Drew Barrymore. They were a lot of – they were all kind of at odds with him. Oh, wow. And they kind of had issues. And the the reason I know this is because when I was at Comic-Con, the year that they did, uh, they had Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu there talking mm -hmm. about uh, uh, X versus Sever. I can't remember what the what, – bullet X versus Sever or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they were there talking about the movie, which I'll be honest, that movie was a flop. but. Uh -huh. Somebody brought up and asked them, asked Lucy Liu about, you know, I heard that you have issues with Bill Murray. And she kind of said, no, not – well, Bill is his own person. Yeah. And the way that she said it, it was very tactful. I will give her that. Yeah. She didn't want to say – Yeah. She was yeah. very tactful about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you could tell people had issues with Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, yeah. okay. Well, I give her props for being respectful. You know what? Not everybody is going to like who they work with. Not everybody's going to get along. There's going to be personality clashes. That's life, you know. Yeah. Um, but that to me, you know, that's just very professional and very classy. Like we were talking about with the Golden Girls, you know, and yeah. B. Arthur. And, you know, it's it's very, very common. And you just have to kind of bite the bullet to make the movie a success. Put the movie as the main focus. That's why you're there. You know, that's your motivation. And just, you know, bite the bullet yep. and get through it. You know, it's... You know, it sucks if he is earning this reputation as being so difficult, but, you know, maybe it's just, maybe he's got, you know, a real devotion to his craft and maybe he's a perfectionist. I mean, there's, there's well, gotta be a reason for it. Yeah. You know and I mean? it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because 
when he was talking with Harold Ramis and while he was constantly, you know, basically, na- you know, nagging on him as to, hey, what am I going to be doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold would finally start saying he'd try to explain a scene in detail to Bill Murray and say, you know, this is your motivation and whatnot. And Murray would finally just say, you know what? Look, just tell me, good Phil or bad Phil? Which one do you want? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, okay, uh, you're mm-hmm. going to get the asshole Phil. You're going to get the charming and sweet Phil. That's what mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm just really curious if that's what it is, is that maybe he he's a perfectionist for himself, but maybe it kind of spilled over onto the actors that he's working. Maybe he expects complete perfection, which a lot of actors do. They don't want to be, you know, with somebody who sucks, you know, so yeah. maybe it, it, maybe he just was not very tactful and maybe trying to, you know, let the other actors and actresses know, hey, you're not cutting the mustard. I, who knows? Yeah. But in which case, you know, I respect his acting. I respect, you know, who he is as an actor. Again, I don't really know a lot about his personality. Again, I've never really seen many interviews or anything with him. So I don't know. I don't have a sense of who he is outside of his acting. Um, But yeah, it's, it kind of saddens me that he's worked with so many people and it's kind of the stigma he has. That's, that's kind of a shame. Isn't he doing something now like a sitcom or something, or was he doing something? I can't, or maybe I'm thinking Chevy Chase. I think it I'm might be Chevy, Chevy Chase because Chevy Chase is doing Community now. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is Bill Murray doing any TV or any or anything uh, like he's recently? Doing some, he's doing some voiceovers for movies. Uh, I, I got to be honest, he is really kind of starting to look old. Yeah, he is. He's kind of you know. Don't get me wrong; he still looks pretty good, but he's getting up there in years. Oh yeah, you know. So he's kind of maybe I should step back behind the camera and just lend my voice to stuff rather than. Showing my ugly mug. <laughs> Could very well be. I don't know if his brother is older than him or younger, but I saw his IMDb picture, and he looks fairly old as well. Yeah. Fairly old. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, he, he was talented if you liked his style. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it, and I didn't dislike it. Just kind of like the movie. I didn't, you know, in Ghostbusters, and I didn't see Stripes, but I've seen a couple other movies he's been in, and I, I didn't really you know gravitate to the character but i wasn't repulsed by them either it's just kind of a well an interesting middle ground there i will give him props for this i saw lost in translation with him and i Scarlett have not Johansson. seen that i have not seen that i want to it's actually really pretty good because you get to okay. see a different side of him he plays a much more serious role he's oh, not this okay. you know goofing character type and you kind of see him part of the thing that he's going through is that he's kind of suffering through insomnia throughout the film. And, uh-huh. you know, it's, he's, he says it's jet lag and whatnot. And it's kind of like, Oh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to handle this and, mm-hmm. you know, going through life. So, yeah, but I thought it was pretty good. I thought I've it was pretty good. So. See that. Now I have a question. Did he and Scarlett get it on in that movie? Was you know, it? I've never seen the entire film. I've only I've okay. seen up to the last thirty minutes, and everybody says that oh, something happens with them, and they kind of wonder. But I haven't seen the oh, end no. of it, so I really don't know. So was she his in, his love interest in it, or did she play? No, it, well, she, it was kind of weird from what I could tell. She was just like another American that was at the same hotel as him, and uh-huh. he kind of starts just taking her off and saying, "Hey, let's go see what's going on," even though we don't understand what the culture is like, and you know, we don't understand where we're going. And they just kind of run around Tokyo. Huh. And yeah. 
it's just kind of a weird thing. And it, it makes sense because yeah. you get the feeling like they're trapped, not really trapped, but just they don't know what's going on because they don't speak the language. And what they do know is really confusing as hell. Yeah. It sounds very intriguing. It's, you know, yeah. I like movies like that where it's kind of like, huh, okay, this is interesting. This is kind of unique, but it's an odd pairing. So that's yes. why I was like, huh, I wonder what's going on here. I hope they don't have some hot monkey love because I'm not going to want to see that, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I love Scarlett Johansson myself. I think she's a very, very, very attractive oh, woman. Oh, she's but... beautiful. Yeah. Thinking about her with Bill Murray just kind of makes my skin crawl. Yeah, me too. It's just like, no, 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 no. So, I, yeah, I will yeah. see that movie because I want to out of curiosity. But, yeah, I'm hoping that there's no – yeah. <laughs> now, moving on through our trivia here, I do have one of the more famous lines that was uttered in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly it was inspired by Paul Lind. And for anybody who doesn't know who Paul Lind is, Paul Lind was Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. He That's... was that, oh, honey. You know, he was. Yes. Paul Lynn was gay, let's be honest. Okay. Mm -hmm. He never came out and said it while he was alive, but, you know, hello, let me get the fire extinguisher to put that flame out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was very flaming. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, to quote Not Seinfeld. At all. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but supposedly, he had a high speed chase through the San Fernando Valley one night. Driving recklessly, he was drunk off his ass, crashes his car into a mailbox, and the police come to the car, guns drawn, and he lowers his window and says, I'll have a cheeseburger, hold the onions, and a large Sprite. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if you remember when Bill Murray is running around with the two drunk yes. guys and he crashes into him, that line comes yep. up. Oh, uh, that's right. Wasn't that the same scene where he went on the joyride on the railroad tracks and he hit the mailbox? And yep. Is that the same scene? Yep. I yep. remember that. That's funny. And supposedly <laughs> this, that scene was also inspired. Another account says that it was inspired by comedian Shecky Green in Las Vegas because Shecky Green got drunk, drove his car into the big fountain in front of Caesar's Palace. Oh, good. And bystanders pulled him out with water from the fountain raining down onto his car. He shouts, clean the floor mats and no hot wax. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, it's cute. Now, there's a couple of other things here. Uh, I just have a few more bits of trivia that I'll kind of round out here. The mm -hmm. song that we hear greeting Bill Murray every morning, I've Got You, Babe, by Sonny and Cher. Uh -huh. That was actually in Danny Rubin's original script from the very beginning. Really? So he wanted that to show up there throughout all of them. Very cool. Which I thought Very was kind of nice because it, it did that nice link and it kind of rolled it all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm just and, curious why that particular song. Is it just because well, it's annoying and it, <laughs> no. it gets your attention? Is it? Yeah. Well, you I'm, think about curious. it. He is kind of a kind of an homage, I guess, in into what was going to be happening. A, a foreshadowing, I guess. Because, I, yeah, I, I kind of thought that too. I was like, I wonder if it's meant to, yeah, to be know. a preview of things to come or yeah. if it was just the, the director's favorite song i didn't know what the connection to that if there yeah. was well he didn't have that. anything in his life and it was you know he was kind of just going through life and being miserable you know he was single and alone and trying mm -hmm. to just move on and he was distancing himself from everybody mm -hmm. and at the end of the film he ends up with andy mcdowell in bed with him and they're kind of cuddling and everything and they're like wow this is wonderful mm -hmm. and this this was a neat thing is that throughout the movie Every time that we heard that song come on on the clock radio, 
it always mm-hmm. started at an exact point, like a yeah. perfect start. Start. Yeah. The perp- How- yeah. However, on February third, when it starts up, it started just slightly later. Yeah, I noticed. So it was kind of like, oh, it's a little different, uh-huh. and so that was kind of what cued me in to being. It's now February third. Uh huh. He had different sheets, didn't he? And then he had, yeah, the song was a little different, and yeah, from the as soon as he woke up, it, it, which is which was cool. It yeah. was good to see the you know the differences there. Um, now. Okay, I have a question. When you mentioned about Rita sleeping in the uh-huh. bed with him, okay, um, when he's you know when she's there, and then you know there it's a three, it's I guess it was three a.m. and they finally fell asleep, uh-huh. and then he woke up alone after that, right? Right. And then he started doing things differently. He gave money to the poor man. He gave you know he gave a thousand bucks to the piano teacher and did mm-hmm. the ice sculpting and all of that. Now. Was his motivation, do you think, to like to change his fate, to try to, you know, get out of the time warp? Like, what do you think that was about? Like, I, I think that that might have been that they, he was trying to find some way that maybe, you know, if he couldn't change, if he couldn't change what was happening to his life, because obviously committing suicide and trying to end his life and yeah, nothing worked. That I'm didn't just work. If that was kind of his way, his, his, his start of his metamorphosis into being a better person, you know, he's yeah. doing, you know, he gave money to the poor man, you know, so I kind of noticed that and I, and I thought it was interesting too, that right before that, you know, Rita was there with him and she, you know, he was saying how good of a person she is and kind to everybody and all of this. And then the next scene, you know, things were a little different and then he became kind of kind. It was nice to kind of see that this, you know, Rita was, yeah. kind of the epitome of what he wanted to be and it was you know i for that i liked rita i liked andy mcdowell's character i liked rita in this movie yeah. um and i in general um i don't think andy mcdowell is a bad actress um i think she's i think she's good um i haven't really seen a lot of what she's been in but i liked her in this I, from other things i've seen her in she seemed a little like loosened up in this one she well, seemed, maybe it was Maybe it's because of Bill Murray. Who knows? Well, um, that, I, that's actually something I have for a little bit of trivia here is that she – one of the reasons that I think that she kind of came off as more relaxed, mm-hmm. she went to Harold Ramis and said, um, Harold, can I just speak with my normal accent? And mm-hmm. she's got a very heavy South Carolina accent. Yes. Which I thought actually fit well because of where it was taking place, kind of – you mm-hmm. know. Kind of on the East Coast, a little bit from the mm-hmm. South, kind of moving up. So, you know, South Carolina was completely believable. I thought it yeah. was great. And it had this I nice it touch. You know? I thought so, too. But I noticed immediately. I was like, wow, she seems like she's, yeah, she's relaxed. She's loosened up. She even, you know, was funny, even. There were scenes where she was funny. And, I, and you don't see her in that capacity very often. I was like, no, she looks like she's really, you know, enjoying herself doing this. And maybe she was somebody who enjoyed working with Bill Murray. Maybe they, they never had any problems. Who knows? But yeah. that was something that struck me right away. I was like, huh, she seems a little different in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was the accent thing. Maybe, you know, um, I, you know, I just didn't, uh, I don't, I think at the beginning of this, I said, I didn't see much chemistry. Um, yeah. I may have to renege on that. They did have chemistry, um, but it, I wouldn't have really put them together like romantically. 
Yeah. But I thought, I thought, does that make sense? But it, as you know, she almost seemed like she was too good for him. Yeah. Um, but as far as being friends or whatever, I could see that to me, that's believable, but actually getting, you know, for him, her actually falling for him. I thought that was a little far fetched personally. I would have to agree with that. Yeah. She seemed a little out of his league. Yeah. No. Um, and there was something else I had a question about. Um, hmm. Maybe I did not write it down. That's yeah. Okay. It, um, oh, okay. Actually, I will let you finish your trivia because I have some what the fuck. <laughs> okay. Well, a couple of it's, I, I just have just a few more things here. Uh, first one here is that Phil was supposed to murder the groundhog in his lair. And they kind of said, you know what, we're going to change that because it just seemed a little too much like Caddyshack. Oh, uh-huh. Bill Murray is yeah. the groundskeeper trying to blow up the gopher. Yes. Kind of going down that path. They really didn't want to have that coming back around. And I don't blame them one bit for that. Yeah. Uh, and Harold Ramis, he was surprised to find that his film was attracting a lot of attention from a mm-hmm. bunch of various religious groups. Uh, really? uh, meditative gurus, other parties who were basically really heavily into metaphysics. And yeah. he, Ramus was thinking, oh, God, this is going to come off bad for me. And they said, you know, he was pleasantly surprised because he was expecting this backlash against him. Yeah. And they were kind of like, hey, this kind of helps explain a lot of things. And we can use this to teach people. And people really? have actually been kind of looking at Groundhog Day as like this, not like religious experience, but maybe there's something a little bit deeper to our lives to help them along yeah, through things. Yeah. Which, that's interesting. You know, I think that that's a good thing because if you can make yourself think about how you're living your life and maybe make it live yourself better. Yes. That, you know, absolutely. that's, that's a positive for any way, that's anybody. A positive. Yeah. It's interesting that this movie, which to me isn't very significant in the, in, and there's so many classics. There's so many yeah. you know, movies that are, you know, it's interesting that this movie would be, um, chosen for that. That's that's cool, though. Well, the last two things I have here kind of go hand in hand. Uh, since this film came out, uh, mm-hmm. the town of Punxsutawney has become this huge major tourist attraction. Really? It put Punxsutawney on the map, so people knew about it. I mean, you know, everybody knew that the Groundhog came out, and Punxsutawney was actually one of the most famous ones. They do have, like, three other three other places that they use to try and get their predictions from throughout the year mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on Fe- on Groundhog Day. But this was kind of like, okay, everybody shows up in Punxsutawney at, you know, the crack of dawn, and they all show up at Gobbler's Knob, which mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I heard the name, and I was – the first time I, I saw that, I'm like, that just sounds like some sort of porn movie. It does. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I'll be honest. That's exactly what I thought when I heard the name. Yeah. It's a real place. They depict it as being in the center of town there, in, in the center of Punxsutawney. Uh-huh. And Gobbler's Knob is actually not there. Where the ceremony takes place in real life, it's in a rural, wooded area about two miles outside of Punxsutawney. Oh, uh-huh. So what they see in the film, everybody thinks that, oh, it's going to be this great thing at the, you know, the center of town, and you're going to go there, and no. Yeah. Not at all. You know, huh. it's outside of town, and people gather around on this, you know, this wooded area, and they're like, trying to get in there to see and all the cameras are trying to show up and hit their lighting on the, on the groundhog so that they can see them talk to the groundhog in groundhog ease and it yeah. talks back to them and 
oh, darn, you know, it's unseasonably cool. It's going to be six more weeks of winter. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I like it. I liked the film for what it was originally when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just kind of like, okay, you know what? To some extent, maybe this movie needs to just up and die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fall by the wayside. I, I don't think we necessarily need anything else to replace it, but no. I, you know, it's not one that I thought was great. So. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you there. If I had to give it a letter grade, I'd probably give it a C minus. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, it's passing. It's. Yeah. I, I just in general thought Andy McDowell in some in some situation, well, in some respects, I think that she was good for the role. And then other situations, I'm like, uh, she just doesn't fit. I don't. So I had a, a bit of trouble, I guess, with the casting a little bit. Because in some ways, I'm just like, yeah, I could see her kind of, you know, she's very, like, delicate looking in her face, very angelic, very sweet. Yeah. You know, you kind of you kind of get, you know, very genteel um, vibe about her. Um, very classy vibe about her yes and so i liked that i was like okay she had to have been cast because of that because she again you know bill murray worships her and all this um and you know she is what you know he is aspiring to be you know she's this ultimately good person you know and i could see that um but then as far as like i said as far as them being you know together it just didn't work for me um and that kind of, you know, segues into my what the fuck moments because that, um, okay. There were a couple times throughout the movie where he was saying that he loved Rita. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> the first one was in that scene where that chick Nancy and him were making out by the fire. Oh, yeah. And then he calls her Rita. That was so bad. It was the whole scene I thought was weird. When it came to that scene, because the scene before it, they had just like met and he pretended to be some classmate or something. And then it jumps immediately to them making out by the fire. So I was like, whoa, okay. Well, I kind of knew that that was going to happen when he started asking her her name and like, you know, where where she went to high school and all that. Yeah. He was plotting that out. You could see that. Totally. And then it just going from that. And then he's calling her Rita and all that. And he's like. He gets, you know, I've loved you. I've always loved you. Will you be my wife? That just was so fucking weird to me. I was like, what? You know, he, oh, well, Rita. See, again, he knew it wasn't going to be, he knew he wasn't going to wake up with her the next morning. So he was spouting off whatever he thought would work for her. Oh, uh, so that was totally him being a fucking dick. Yep. Just, okay. I was like, is he trying to be funny here? Is he serious? What, you know, it just, that was my what the fuck. I this was is like, the, this is the, what do I say to get into the girl's pants? Uh-huh. I thought so, but I wanted to clear it with you because again, the yeah. first time coming into this, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not understanding necessarily what's going on here. Um, and what else? Um, another what the fuck. It has to do with wardrobe. I had to laugh out loud because I remember 1992-93. In fact, I think I want to say it was my sophomore class picture. I was wearing the exact same vest that Andy McDowell was oh, wearing in oh. that movie. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God. It brought me back. I'm like, oh, my God, the vest. 
the floral freaking vest and then you wear t-shirts underneath or you wear the button up you know shirts it's a collar and I just I started I literally bust out loud laughing I'm like oh my god this is so early 90s oh my god you know long live the vest oh god it just oh the whole combo that she was wearing I just was it brought me back to high school I was like oh no and not in a good way no 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 (laughs) So that, yeah, right off the bat, it, it brought me back. Like, okay, yeah, this is an old movie. This, <laughs> this, this came is out. a generational film, hence why <laughs> we call ourselves Talking About My Generation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that was like, as soon as I saw her, I'm like, oh my God, I had that vest. Oh yep. no. So, yeah, that was another kind of what the fuck. It just, it, it made me laugh. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, let me see. So to my understanding, I'm still trying to grasp a lot of this, um, which I don't know why I'm really thinking about this so hard because it's not worthy of so much thought, but I'm obsessive compulsive and I try to, you know, take things apart and try to make sense of them and then put them back together. So, okay. So as the movie progresses, I, the only way I can describe it is that he has these gifts. Is, would that be a fair way of describing it, that he's got a gift? Um, I don't really. Well, what do you mean? Like, because he's remembering all this stuff about everybody? Because he's able to stop time and then redo the scenes over again and all. I didn't really know what yeah. to call that. It's the I, time loop. Yeah. The time loop. Um, now, I wrote down here a question. Is he trying to manipulate the situations to his advantage to get Rita? Is that. For a while, yes, because you see yeah. that. You see him doing that. Uh, you know, she slaps his face like eight times. I know, and I was like, okay. And because of that, you see him trying to figure out what he has to do to try. He, at first, I kind of got the feeling like he was trying to get into her pants. That's what I thought too. And yeah. you know, he starts going through, and then he realizes, you know what? Uh, I don't need to get into her pants. I really want to be with her. Yes. And that's kind of you know when it ends, and they sh- they wake up on February third. I thought that was kind of a nice touch and going off in that spiral. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I thought that was what it was. It just was kind of weird how it played out. Um, you know, and I thought it was sweet, you know, the whole ice sculpture of her face, but it was also kind of like a what the fuck a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a little weird to me. Um, kind of creepy and sweet at the same time. Um, I don't really know if I were in that situation, how I would react if somebody sculpted my face. It would be a little weird. Um, yeah. But, you know, I digress. Um, yeah, there was just, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I wrote any more down. I just... Let me see. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I got it. I think I got it figured out. Okay. <laughs> it just didn't really work for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> C minus. That's all I've got for this here. So I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show here. Alrighty. Uh, I do want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Talking About My Generation. Please feel free to leave us feedback on iTunes. Uh, you can also send us a tweet. I am at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T. I am at Mommy of 3C Girls. Uh, you can also send us email at MyGenerationPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Talking About My Generation. We do have a fan page, and we would love it if you'd go and like us there. Uh, you can also listen to us on Stitcher. And... 
uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off this episode here with the one song that goes through the movie throughout the entire thing every <laughs> morning. I Got You, Babe, by Sonny and Cher. All right. They say we're young and we don't know. We won't find out until we grow. Well, I don't know if all that's true. Cause you got me, baby, I got you. Hey. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. They say our love won't pay the rent For it's earned, our money's all been spent I guess that's so we don't have a plot But at least I'm sure of all the things we got Babe I got you, babe I got you, babe I got flowers in the spring. I got to wear my ring. Me. Mm-hmm.